It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast, episode number 302. Eventually, we might quit counting, but it's still fun to count. So, 302 and the NFL draft coming up uh, here in a couple months. We are in the offseason So we wanted to give you guys a chance to catch up with a guy that none of us have heard from for uh, quite a while, former Missouri linebacker Kale Garrett joining us on the podcast this week. And, and Kale, first off, thanks. And where are you at right now? Well, thanks for having me on, first off. Um, I'm down here in South Florida, um, Fort Lauderdale area, just north of Miami. Uh, I've been training down here since uh, early December and went home a couple times for the holidays and whatnot, but been down here just training and prepping for the combine and uh, rehabbing a little bit as well. So I, I know the first question on everybody's mind is, how are you doing? I mean, how's how's the rehab going and where are you at health-wise? Um, it's going really well. I actually went back to Columbia uh, last week, last weekend, and uh, met with the surgeon who did my surgery and he was able to clear me for pretty much everything except for um, bench at the combine. So um, it's been a really good last month or so, just the amount of progress that I've been able to make and whatnot. Um, and finally starting to press a little bit more, but still not where it needs to be to be able to represent myself well on the 225 test. But uh, I've been running for a while now. Um, and I'd say I'm probably around 90, 95% at this point. Well, Kale, uh, I don't think we've really had a chance to to discuss the injury with you at all. And just, just to take you back briefly to that, uh, I know you, you continued to stay in the game after you initially hurt yourself. I guess, you know, how badly did it initially hurt and how, how long before halftime when you, you left the game was uh, did, did the actual injury occur? So the injury happened, I want to say, with like three and a half minutes or so left in the first quarter of the game. Um, so there's still a good chunk of time left. And whenever it initially happened, it felt different than, um, you know, most shoulder pain that I have, like just playing football um, and making a tackle or whatnot. Sometimes you just get that. I mean, it comes with the game. But it felt way different than anything like that before. Um, and I wouldn't say it necessarily hurt a ton because I mean I had a lot of adrenaline going and whatnot but it just felt weird and then whenever I started to notice something was up was whenever I wasn't really able to use the that arm anymore uh if somebody was trying to block me or whatnot and I try and push away from them uh just didn't really work too well um but yeah it wasn't until I went in halftime and took my pads off that I realized that that'd be the last time you know I had them on so um that whole second quarter, I was kind of just playing through it, just thinking it was something that was going to bug me for a little bit of a while and just needed to make it through that game. And then I'd be good to go for the next week if I rehabbed it right and whatnot. But um, once I took my pads off, the surgeon knew right away, our team doctor knew right away um, what it was. And then an MRI confirmed it at halftime, like in the second half of the game, I got an MRI right afterwards. And uh, it was confirmed that night what it was. Um, so that was a really tough – that was a tough day for me for sure and not what I was expecting it to be. I want to ask you, and I'm sure it's it's not a night you really want to go back to, but 
what are those, I don't know, 12 or 24 hours like where, I, I mean, look, it's, it's rough for anybody to know their season is over, but your senior season and, you know, what at that point was an All-American season going. I mean, what what were the – how long did it take you to kind of get over the initial anger or shock or whatever it was? If I'm being honest, uh, it took more than just that night. It was a really long process. Um, just to be on what you feel like is the top of the mountain, like, that was the best I was ever playing, and I was really proud of how we were performing collectively as a team, but then personally as well. Like I felt like everything was within reach, and all my hard work was paying off. And I know a lot of other guys felt the same way about the direction that the team was heading to. Um, and then that was just a total shock. And, um, you know, I go from being at the very top to the very bottom, and I was like that for a while. Um it was really tough, but I had a lot of, a lot of good support. Um, you know, my mom before anybody, I think she took it just as hard as me. Um, it was really, really tough on her. Um, I know she was crushed. She was devastated, but there were a lot of people in my life that helped me see the bigger picture. Um, and I got to kind of focus on kill the human instead of kill the linebacker, which was really cool. Um, and it was a really good challenge to just to be able to see how I could handle something like that because I've never really had to deal with a major setback. Um, it's always just been work really hard and good things will happen for me. But um, that was a good test where sometimes things are out of your control and it doesn't always go your way no matter how hard you try. Um, so that was a really good life lesson overall for me. And um I was really appreciative of everybody that helped me get through that. And coming out of it, I think I'll be even better, even stronger mentally as well as physically. Um, so really it's just been kind of a learning curve for me um, throughout the whole thing. I know, obviously, I'm sure it wasn't easy to, to watch the rest of the season after you were hurt. But, you know, I know you kind of spent time almost in, in a coach-type role at, at practices and, and, and watching, obviously, all the games. What, what was your just kind of assessment of, of, A, Nick Bolton? I mean, he I know he had a really good season both while you were playing and without, and, B, just the, the linebacker group as a whole and, uh, and, and what we can kind of expect from that group going into next season. Well, I mean, this Nick's team, this is Nick's defense now. Um, I expect him to be one of the most vocal leaders on it, um, as well as uh, leading by example, too, And which is something he will. He's such a good linebacker. He's so smart and instinctive as well. He's got everything that you want for that position, um, and I think he's only going to get better, too. I'm really excited for him, and it was a pleasure to play by him. Um, he's a great guy, too, off the field, super respectful to anybody. doesn't matter – who you are, he'll give you the time of day, which is really awesome. Um, so I'm excited for him and his season that he should have next year, that we're all expecting him to have next year. Um, and everything that he will earn and has earned, he deserves it for sure. As well as like everybody else, I'm excited for them too. Um, the opportunity is there for the taking. I mean, there's a lot of guys that can step up and play and, um, I have expectations for them all to put their best foot forward. And then, um, you know, whoever ends up in that role or if it's multiple guys, like I wish them nothing but the best. And I think that they're more than capable of getting the job done. Hey, well, 
we'll move forward in a minute to kind of your prep for the NFL and, and what your future holds. But one other thing I want to ask you, I mean, I, you had as close a relationship probably with Barry Odom as anybody on that team. He was, he offered you the scholarship and, uh, and I think Barry probably would say he saw a lot of himself in you and your path to college football. How rough was that period for you to see him lose his job? And then, you know, have you, do you plan to, to stay connected? Have you talked to, to coach Drinkwitz or, or anything like that? And, and, what will your connection to this program be, even though the guys who coached you aren't here anymore? Um, so, yeah, definitely. I'll start with Coach Odom. Uh, he was the guy who literally gave me a chance, um, an opportunity to wear black and gold and play in my home state. So I'm forever grateful to him. And he was almost like um, a second dad to me. Um, we had a very special relationship, and he's a great human being as well. Um, and I know he'll be successful in his new role at his new place. Um, I'm really excited for him, and I'm going to miss him, and it it sucks, but he's moved on, and I think he's going to do just fine, and um, I wish him nothing but the best, and I do plan on maintaining a relationship with him. I'll always have a relationship with him for the rest of my life, and if I ever tried to get into coaching, if I ever considered that he's going to be one of the first people I call, that's for sure. Um, as far as, like, the new coaches and whatnot, I haven't had a chance to meet any of them yet, but um, there's a lot of buzz around um, all the new staff, and um, it seems like they put together a pretty talented crew, and I thought, uh, you know, keeping some of the defensive guys was a smart move, too, just because um, I think they're good guys. They're good coaches, too. Coach Walt, um was awesome to play for last year. All of the guys were um, with him in charge and kind of leading leading the pack. It was really cool to be able to play with him. And I thought, I think he's not like most defensive coordinators. He's younger, you know. So um, I think he's able to relate to us a lot better, as well as being a former player himself, too. Um, I'm really excited to see what he can do and the rest of our defensive staff can put together for our guys next year. And then as far as the new guys to drink with, I look forward to meeting him um, and shaking his hand. I know he's got um, – he's had a respectable coaching career up to this point. He's done really well to make a name for himself. So I'm excited what he can do for our program too. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm black and gold through and through, and I always want us to win. Um, yeah, the dynamics sort of change. It's going to be – a little bit more awkward coming back just because it's going to be a new environment. I got to meet new people and whatnot for pro day. Um, but I look forward to it and I always want the Tigers to win on Saturday. Kale, I know, you know, you've, you've had a little bit longer to, to look forward to your, uh, you know, post-college playing career with the injury, but you've also been a little bit limited. I know with going through the rehab, it's just how have you approached the whole process just as far as your expectations and, and kind of the things you've emphasized uh, in your, your preparation for pro ball. Um, I think the biggest thing I've wanted to kind of prepare myself for is just kind of naturally after the injury happened, I think um, I had time to sit back and just watch, realize how much I would miss football without it in my life. So I think this injury has kind of reinvigorated my passion for the game. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to, you know, put my best foot forward and 
approach it with almost kind of a new passion just because I've, I had a bitter taste in my mouth kind of about the outcome of last season. And um, that's not how anybody senior, anybody wants their senior season to go. Um, so I think I'm ready to prove myself again. It's been a while since I've been in pads and a helmet. So I'm really excited just to, you know, find a role on a team if I can, or even just have the opportunity to um, and see what happens from there. So I'm really excited for that, real, honestly, just to find a new home and have a new opportunity. Talking to former Mizzou linebacker Kale Garrett, and uh, you touched on it a little bit, but and and obviously, come April, every football player's dream is you hear your name called at some point, whether it's round one, round seven, whatever. But it, you know, for a lot of guys, they make the league without that happening. How much has your path prepared you for maybe, you know, kind of having to work your way up if you don't go as high as you want to, or if you have to go the undrafted free agent route? I mean just the way you, you got to the SEC and everything, uh, you know, how much has that prepared you for doesn't really matter where you go? Um, I think, yeah, there's a huge – it's going to be parallel to uh, the start of my college career too, I'm hoping, um, in the sense that all I really need and all I'm asking for is an opportunity um, to prove myself and to work my way into some sort of role on the team. Um so that's really what I'm looking forward to, and it's nothing new to me. So I think that I'm kind of prepared to go that route if that's what it is, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, like I said, I just want to play. I love this game. I don't want to sell insurance. I don't want to sit in an office. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that. Um, I want to play this as long as I can, and then you know, when it's time to ride off into the sunset, then that's what it is, and then I find a new passion. But I really don't want that to happen anytime soon, you know? Kel, you, you touched, you talked earlier a, a little bit about Kel Garrett, the person versus Kel Garrett, the linebacker. And I, I think you more so than maybe anyone else I, I've covered has been pretty open about just your life outside of football and all of your, your cool hobbies, as far as, you know, hiking and playing music and, and all that. Uh, so I, so I got to ask if you developed any new hobbies or what's been kind of your, uh, your main passions outside of football in, in recent months. In recent months. Um, I mean, I'm still looking forward to hiking. I'm actually, um, been looking at a few different places and whatnot. One of them is like Glacier National Park, and obviously I want to hike, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty fun to the beach too down here in Florida. <laughs> um, so I, I guess you could consider that a hobby too. Um, it's, I mean, you can't beat it. Water's gorgeous. I mean, everybody's like, oh, that's not even pretty with the Bahamas, like an hour away or something. One of my trainers is from the Bahamas, and they're like, that's not even the good beach. So I'm like, well, look, in Missouri, we call the beach a lake. So, right. so, so any beach beats that. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying that, hanging out by the sun. Um, I think a new hobby might be warm weather. Um, <laughs> you know, 80s in January and February. I mean, that's kind of hard to beat. I didn't know. I didn't know I would like something so much i guess but yeah you uh, um, i've been to carney a few times not a lot of uh not a lot of beach exposure up there um nah, no <laughs> you uh <laughs> you, you did, look you did grow up you know 45 minutes from kansas city you're down in miami did you like check out any of the any of the super bowl stuff were you kind of around any of that i did so um i went to my mom and my aunt lenny came to visit um the week before the Super Bowl, the weekend before the Super Bowl, and we went to, like, 
the Super Bowl experience down in Miami, uh, just to kind of check it out and see what it was like. I mean, it was pretty cool. And then um, the actual day of the Super Bowl was weird, like, knowing that it was taking place, like, 20 minutes away from where I'm staying at. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of cool. I mean, I wasn't about to buy a $3,000 ticket, <laughs> but um, it was kind of cool just knowing that it was all down here and uh, only 20 minutes away from – uh, the TV that I was sitting in front of. Kelly, you said you want it to be a little while before you uh, have to find another way to make a living outside of football, but uh, have you given any thought to, to what your your future might hold once you're done playing? I really haven't. Um, like I said, I'm hoping I don't have to worry about that for a while. Um, and it's kind of hard to narrow it down when you have so many, like I have a lot of interests. And my brain kind of goes in one direction, then another, and whatnot, just thinking of things outside of football. Um, but, yeah, I haven't put a lot of thought in, into that yet. It, it, one thing I wanted to ask you, they, uh, you know, in the NFL playoffs, they made a, made a pretty big deal about J.J. Watt coming back from a similar injury in eight weeks. Can you, can you talk about, I, I mean, is that superhuman? What, could you have done that eight weeks later? So uh, the way that I was explained by trainers, and this could be me making excuses too, but um, the way I was explained by trainers is, uh, you know, at that point it's healed up a decent amount and it's so late in the season that if he were to re-tear it again, um, there's not really any consequence other than resetting because he still would have the whole off season left afterwards. You know, so with me, I like I had to decide, okay, do I want to be able to participate in the combine? Do I want to be able to participate in pro day? Do I want to be able to be ready for OTAs and all sorts, whatever, rookie mini camps, everything like that? Um, Or do I want to, you know, put out film that isn't maybe not necessarily me because I'm not 100% back, you know? and by then it would have been – the season would have pretty much been over too, I want to say, um, by the time that two-month, eight-week point came around. It would have been pretty close to the end of the season too, so it wouldn't have made a ton of sense to come back. But, yeah, I would say some of it could just be him being superhuman as well <laughs> um, and just being the type of guy that he is too for sure. Kale, uh, wanted wanted to ask you before before we let you go. You know, you obviously know this team a lot better than we do. You you practiced with them every single day. Uh, given you know your your experiences and practice and all that, give us uh, maybe a name or two. It could be on either side of the ball of, of a guy who people aren't talking about who you think uh, could, is is maybe due for a breakout season. Ooh, um, how about? Our safeties. Are you guys talking about our safeties? And Any, anybody you want to see. So I, my, I guess my pick should be Kobe Whiteside and Tyreek Gillespie as well as uh, Josh Bledsoe. Um, I think both our safeties had strong seasons last um, last year, and so did Kobe. But I think they're all due for another really big year, and there's going to be a lot more expectations on them this year too. So. I know I'll be paying attention to them as well as 32 um, this season for sure. All right. Well, Kale, we appreciate the time, man. We know South Beach is probably calling, so we we appreciate you doing this. Uh, 
and uh, and we'll definitely be uh, catch up with you at pro day. Look forward uh, to uh, to what happens these next few months. Awesome! I appreciate you guys for having me. Look forward to seeing you. Yeah, thanks, right. Kale. Thanks, Kale Garrett, former Mizzou linebacker, and uh, it, glad I. We were talking before this. I don't think anybody's talked to him since he got hurt. Yeah, no, I believe those were his first uh, public comments since the injury. So, yeah, I mean, really could have probably gotten more nitty-gritty into just like, you know, like like we said, like what what play what did that happen? Like how long, you know, what, was it before he had the pick six? I believe it was in yeah. that Troy game. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's kind of interesting to, to catch up now. Obviously, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a big-picture big conversation once three months have passed or four months have passed, however long it's been. But can definitely say, like, of all the players – uh, on this team this past year he he had he was had the kind of the most unique blend of, of being really good at football but also being really interesting outside yeah. of football which made him really fun to cover so yeah, glad we got to catch up to him he's a thoughtful guy he can talk and it's just another lesson like I could never be a high level athlete because <laughs> I've heard that's really really painful when you tear a pack I mean it sounds awful it does and I would be weeping on the field <laughs> There's zero chance I would I, – I, what I actually expected him to say was I knew what I did, but I wasn't going to tell anybody until I had to. Yeah. yeah. No, he just he's just he's like, like, oh, my arm won't work. My arm won't work. I'll, I'll probably – I'll deal with that at halftime. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, uh, I'll just intercept a pass and run back for a touchdown. With, with one arm, yeah. Yeah. I, so, look, it's in all seriousness, though, like, I don't know, and I didn't really want to get into it with him because he doesn't know either. I, it, coming off an injury – Reality is he's probably not getting drafted. Mm-hmm. But if there is any kid I've covered in the last six, seven years minimum who you would say he will make a team as a free agent, that's him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, he touched on it a little bit. Like, it was similar to his path to college. He got a Mizzou offer, you know, his only Power 5 offer, like the day before signing day. He was going to go to Navy and uh, worked his way up and, and, you know, started out playing a lot of special teams. You know, was it a regular linebacker midway through his freshman year? And, and I, I mean, he's just – he's a hard worker. He's, he doesn't feel like – I don't think he feels like anyone owes him anything. Uh, that's a pretty good combination. Yeah, and it just like we say all the time, like when you do what we do, you don't root for teams, but you root for people. And – I don't think there was anybody who we found that news out on what a Sunday. It was evening. a Sunday night, yeah. And and I think everybody's first reaction is, this sucks. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, this is just awful because yeah. the kid truly was playing better than anybody in the country. And I mean, even when we tweeted the story out, I, I had fans of all kinds of SEC schools just replying saying, "This is horrible." Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was like I said, yeah, a really good player who who was a a good kid, a hard worker, and a, and a thoughtful interview. So definitely wishing him the best. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. Uh, we caught up with Yasir Durant a few weeks ago, Kale tonight. I I don't know when pro day is yet. It's usually kind of midpoint of of spring football. It's it's almost got to be before spring break. I, I, I think. think I think the last couple of years it's been like like a day or two before spring break. Yeah, so like mid March. Yeah, so uh, obviously we will we'll be at that with everybody that is working out. Um, injuries feels like a natural transition to Missouri basketball <laughs> to discuss that. I, Mark Smith and Jeremiah Tillman are still people. Um, they're still on the team. They may or may not play again. And suddenly, like, it kind of doesn't matter. Right, that's not for once. The <laughs> injuries know? are not the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean – Missouri is, is playing pretty good basketball. Um, you know, I, I don't you know want to get that confused for, for like, you know, they're, they're suddenly 
we should talk about the tournament again or anything like that. I know there's there's been a little bit of that. I think we're well past that point, but it's certainly encouraging. Um, you know, Xavier Pinson has now gone for three career highs in the last like 10 days. Uh, Drew Smith's playing well. And I think most importantly, they've found a formula that should be able to kind of carry them into next year um, for, rather than kind of totally playing through the post as they tried to do earlier this year and surrounding Jeremiah Tillman with perimeter shooters. They're, they're sending the guards in to attack the rim and just, you know, using big men as kind of pick and roll and rebounding pieces. And, and the other thing, and I thought it was interesting last night when Conzo said he didn't think they played all that well against Arkansas because we judge this completely on results, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we just assume – hey, you score 70 and you win, you played well, you score 54 and you lose, you played terribly. I thought it was interesting. The first half last night, I, I think Missouri had about 35 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, 31. Yeah, okay, but not nothing special. They were two for 11 from three-point range. And I think if you just watched that game or just looked at the box score, you're thinking, oh, back to the same old, same old. No, they were getting wide open shots. Yeah. They took 11 three-pointers in the first half. And every single one of them was open in the flow of the offense, in rhythm, and a shot that if the guy didn't take, you would say, "Why did you not take that shot?" Yeah, you know, and and that's the coach's job, right? And and that's it's an interesting thing. So you know, there's been a lot, uh, at least a fair amount, I've seen of over the last couple of weeks of fans saying, you know, well, why why didn't we figure this out sooner? Why didn't the coaches, t- you know, insist that guys attack the rim like they're doing right now sooner? And I think the simple answer is they did, they expected this team to be a better shooting team than it yeah. is. I mean. Yeah. You know, Mizzou as a team shot like 36.5% from three last year, even accounting for a little difference with the line stepping back, no one would expect them to drop to 31. And like you said, you know, I mean, a lot of these games, they're getting good looks. Now, there was definitely a point, there was a, a few game stretch where they were struggling where I thought, it was pretty apparent that the opposing strategy was just go ahead and let yeah. them take those they looks. They took 35 in one game against yeah. A&M. Yeah, in both games against yeah. A&M, they took a bunch, and that was clearly A&M's strategy was just let these guys shoot. Um, at, at that point, maybe they should have attacked the rim more. But it's also, you know, like like we say a lot, I, people tend to put everything on the coaches, all the praise when they do well, all the criticism when they do bad. Part of it is, you know, you can draw up a great play all you want. Guys have to execute, and, you know, they they've made adjustments, but, this is probably a little better suited to the team's strengths. Right. And the other thing is, well, why didn't Parker Brown play before? Because maybe he wasn't ready to play that game six weeks ago. Absolutely. Um, Maybe Trey Jackson couldn't have had 11 points in a game a month ago. You know, so guys grow, especially young guys, at different rates. If And, like, if you fault – if you want to lay the blame on this season for Conzo, there's only one real reason to do it to me. And while it is reasonable, it's also 2020 hindsight. If you can go back to day one, you don't design your offense to run around Jeremiah Tillman mm-hmm. because Jeremiah Tillman's not a better player than he was a year ago. He's the same exact guy. The ball's going to stop. It's going to limit everybody else. But going into the season, there was no one saying that. Right. And, uh, you know, I think I, I think I, I will credit Conzo somewhat with adjusting. I think early on he wanted to play as slow and grind it out as possible. And do that. And I think he figured out, you know, around or sometime early in SEC play, like we're, we're going to have to, you know, probably play a little bit faster, probably give up a few more points than he would like to give up. I mean, any number of points is more right. than he would like Six. to give up. But, yeah. but and and in, in order to, you know, give our guards some opportunities to get to the rim and get get out in transition. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I don't. 
I'm not saying that, you know, there's some people who, who really feel like, you know, right now this group without any additions other than swapping Reed Nico for Jordan Wilmore could be a team that's, you know, a top half of the SEC team and a tournament type team. I mean, maybe, but I'd be surprised. It, but it, well, we're blind. It's encouraging. By, it's recency. Bias. Exactly. Yes. It, it's they played four good games in a row. But just because they played four good ones in a row does not mean they'll play well Saturday. It does not mean they would play 32 good ones. next. Exactly. Year. You know, what we tend to do, I think, is look at the team we support or follow and say, okay, what is their best effort every single night? Yeah. Well, no college team in the history of anything has ever given their best effort. No college student in the history (laughs) of anything has ever given their best effort every night. So the good teams are the ones that win when they don't have their best effort, that have a little bit of margin for error. So I just want to wrap up this with – it, look, I refuse to do the NCAA tournament speculation because if they're not playing on Sunday in Nashville, it's not even a discussion to be had. But the NIT is now, look, it's nobody's goal. That's not what anybody sets out and says, boy, we want to be the 69th best team in the country. <laughs> I mean, some junior high kids might, but, you know, uh, that's not a college basketball team's goal. But it has to be the goal now. Mm-hmm. So is the NIT an acceptable level of progress for this program? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, you know, it, it, like you said, it depends in what context you frame acceptable level. It's, it's a nice consolation prize considering where we were a month ago. It's and, prob- and a year ago. Right. It's probably not, you know, I mean, it's not going to get anyone an extension. It's not right. going to, it's still, you know, there's still some, definitely some pressure going into next season. Um, you know, it's, it, I'm not going to, I would say it's somewhere between like unacceptable and exceptional, exceptional. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's acceptable. Sure. It, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's progress. Yeah. It's not the leaps and bounds progress anybody wants to see. And it won't be progress next year. Right. And I, I think, mean, you know. Yeah. And I think more than anything, it's not so much, you know, they do or don't make the NIT. It's are they able to, to carry some of this into next year, which is not a question we're going to know the answer to, obviously, for a while. But, you know, if, it, you, we've seen it before. A team goes on a run, wins the NIT, and then all of a sudden is good the next year. Like, I don't know. It, it's it, possible that can happen. It's possible they could carry over the momentum from this stretch. But I really don't think it matters as much for this season as it does for next. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, Texas won the NIT. How's that going? <laughs> well, good? T- Texas is never a good example because they're perpetually <laughs> right. overrated in every sport. Uh, but, it, no, it, I'm not a big proponent of what you do in February and March matters in November, but I think it matters more with this team than most because theoretically they're all coming back. Right. You know, so there could be a little bit more carryover than usual, but I, I'm not sure how much uh, how much – you know, this season necessarily affects next season because the roster, it's not going to look exactly the same. There's going to be changes. Um, you get to go to Fayetteville. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, it should be something. Um, I don't Fayetteville's know. Fayetteville's a good town. Yeah, I actually do like Fayetteville. Um, I don't know. should be interesting. I, I actually looked today because I was curious, and, and Mizzou is 1-6 in, in Fayetteville since joining the SEC. So, I I mean, I like – I can't pick them to win there even if well, and, but Arkansas is on a free fall and the thing is they've actually mostly been close games yeah that Missouri has just 
found a way to lose, sometimes by officiating, sometimes by hideous turnovers, whatever, mm-hmm. in the last couple minutes. Like, almost every one of them, I feel like, has been competitive. Well, I'm sure there was a couple Kim Anderson era ones that are where well, um, you yeah. probably didn't watch those. We don't talk about that. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, a, a lot of things point to Missouri being able to win. Missouri is playing a lot better. Arkansas is playing very badly. But A, it you know, this team's been inconsistent all year b they haven't won a road game since sec play started c they like i said they don't they don't typically do great in fayetteville uh, i think it'll be a good game i don't know we'll see i saw i think isaiah joe might come back uh he's pra- he started practicing um i don't know if that means he will play i don't think anyone knows if that means he will play okay so uh yeah mitchell will be in fayetteville i will not um and we'll be back next thursday probably Maybe we'll decide next Wednesday. Thanks for listening.